Welcome to the East Memorial Ministries podcast. This week, guest speaker Brad Pogue shares with the Pathfinder Fellowship Group that true believers should encourage one another and build one another up to pursue holiness and serve the living God, not temporal amusement, but to be laborers of Christ, not loiterers. We must also appreciate and esteem and love the pastors who have charge over us in the Lord and who give us instruction. Let's listen together. We're going to start uh, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, we're really going to focus on verses 11 to 13 today. Um, but in order to understand the context of the passage, let's, let's actually look at uh, 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 4. So 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another to build up one another, just as you also are doing. But we we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with, e- another with evil for evil, but always seek that which is good for one another and for all people. As Jeremy taught last Sunday in this chapter, Paul's reminding the Thessalonians who they are and what their nature, nature is. Um, their new natures as, as believers who have obtained salvation through the light of the world, through Christ. He's instructing them to encourage one another and continue to walk in obedience that they've already clearly displayed um, because they are people of the night and, and not people of the dark. He's talking to a group of faithful believers who, in spite of a few things that need to be addressed, and we see that in chapters 4 and 5, they've already proven themselves to be true Christians um, because they're bearing clear spiritual fruit. At the opening of the letter, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. At the opening of the letter, Paul provides an example of what these day people have been up to. He's writing some months back a letter back to them some months as after he's been and uh, ministered to them and and then departed um and in in first thessalonians 1 verse 2 we'll start there he says we give thanks to god always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers constantly bearing mind and again we're, we're think we're looking at what they're up to they've been up to constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
in the presence of God, our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved of God, his choice of you. Again, if you are a believer, you have been chosen of God. You have been pulled out of darkness into daylight. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. They've been proclaiming the word, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, not only uh, in the regions of Greece, but also in every place your faith towards God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves, these other people, report to us about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols. You turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. These people, again, like he says there in verse nine, at the end of verse 9, rather than continuing to practice in the activities of the world around them, he's pointing back and saying, you turned to God from idol. If you look further up, verse 3, they're known for their work of faith, their la- work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope in Christ. And again, turning from dead idols, to the living God. They imitate Paul and Christ, and we see later in chapter 2 where it talks about they uh, imitate the churches in Judea as well who are also under persecution. They clearly turn from the common practices of the day, which is Judaism, and then pagan idolatry in these, ver- these various temples um, to a different way of life. And we'll talk a little bit about that more um, shortly. But look at ver- end of verse 10, that last sentence in verse 10. They did this in the knowledge that Christ was coming back. There's a limited amount of time to serve the Lord before he comes back. You know, we're comforted, and they were comforted, by Paul and knowing that we're saved from God's wrath. We being true believers, day people, if you will. But we have limited time to proclaim Christ, to serve God, right? The chief end of man is to glorify God, to serve him and enjoy him forever. In this life, we've got a limited amount of time to do that and to proclaim him, to practice the Great Commission, to bring others uh, and present others with the gospel and bring them into that salvation. Let's look at Ephesians 5, verse 8. And Jeremy hit on this verse last week as well. Ephesians 5, verse 8. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in, unfru- in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. 
for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. So we are light of the world. Again, this is a parallel kind of idea is what we see in, in, a, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We are, we are day people. We are now in the light of the world. And so we, therefore, we should walk as children of light, verse 8. We should try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Where do we find that? Where do we go to find what is pleasing to the Lord? Yeah, the Bible, right. And then it says, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness in verse 11. So not only are the children of light and darkness categorically different, they do different things, but day people are commanded to walk like children of light. Again, to learn what is pleasing to the Lord and to avoid, to do not do the unfruitful deeds of darkness. And in this context, exposing the uh, unfruitful deeds of darkness is really telling other, other believers about them, exposing them, saying this is not something that we should do. This is being concerned with our sanctification. You know, what is, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, and verse 7, but really verse 3, what is God's will for our life? Our sanctification, right? God has called us for sanctification, which is the growing in holiness and killing sin wherever we find it. You know, again, we're trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. We're, as day people, about, we're to be about, we're to, to, to act, actively go about pleasing the Lord. Not, not ourselves, not ourselves. You know, these are things that these are the things that we should be encouraging one another. If we're going, let's go back to First Thessalonians, uh, five, uh, verse eleven. Where, you know, it says, it says, uh, therefore encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are doing. Though this is what we should be encouraging one another to do. To go about the things of that day, people go about, to walk as children of light, to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Not to not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. And I'm going to hit on something that Jeremy hit on um, as we kind of work as we work through this last week. So I, I do ask that you you listen pretty carefully to what I'm I'm going to say. Um, you know, we one of the major failings of Christian church, particularly in America, is is we help each other rationalize about how close we can come to darkness. We help each other rationalize how close that we can, how much darkness, how much vanity, how much amusement that we can do and still claim to be children of light. We were, like I said before, created to serve and glorify and, and, and honor, well, honor, glorify, and enjoy God forever. You know, m a few, I guess a couple months ago now, we talked about sanctification. You know, we as day people, as true believers, we're set apart. We're set apart. That's clear. The Bible is crystal clear that the people of the Lord, children of God, are set apart for service to God and that they, and we see it across Scripture, have a real desire to obey God and grow in holiness. 
look, imperfections still remain in everyone uh, prior to prior to to death and, and glorification. But true believers, the sanctified ones, the set apart ones, are compelled to structure their lives to grow in holiness, to obey God. We're compelled to invest our time in laboring towards this goal. Is this how we structure our lives? And so, you know, we often compare ourselves to other people. We often rationalize that, hey, we're better than this person or we're better than that person. Um, sometimes we're kind of afraid of what other people think. You know, maybe if I, if I stop doing this, then, then I'm not going to be normal. You know, people are going to look at me and say, man, that person's weird. Um, if, we, if we have our kids stop doing this, then they're going to be looked at as, as weird. Um, we're afraid of what society kind of expects out of us. Um, we forget that God is the judge, right? We put the other men, we're afraid of what other men judge us as. We're afraid of... Uh, people who cannot kill the body and the soul, forgetting that there is a God who can condemn the body and the soul to hell. This basically causes us to please men rather than God. Um, and going back to apply some of the wording in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you know, we're, we're dozing when we do this. We're dozing among societal expectations. We're dozing in spiritual indifference, not looking beyond this life. We're only considering this life when we do this. This isn't being alert and sober, like Paul tells the Thessalonians to be. Um, it's not being alert and sober to the reality about who God is and that Christ is coming back. Our time is a limited, precious resource. And so why is it that we're spending it on vanities and not obeying the God who commands us to obey him if we are children of light? Um, like I said before, this is a critical failing in, in, our, in the church. Um, there's a bunch of areas that, you know, I could bring up, I could target. Um, and I'm not immune to this. I'm, as I'm talking to y'all, I am subject to this as well. Um, but I'm going to stick kind of with the vein that Jeremy tapped last week because I think he is, he's exactly right. Um, and what are you spending your time on, what, especially your leisure time? You know, when you're not at work, when you're not doing the things that, that you have to do, what is it that you're doing? How much time do we spend on amusements? You know, this doesn't, it's not an all-encompassing list, but these are the big ones watching television, playing video games, surfing social media on your phone? How many free nights and weekends do we occupy with youth sports, with watching other people play sports on television? What, hold on, sports, if it's a game, it's an amusement. If it's a game, it's an escape from serious things in life. How much time are we spending on amusements? Is there biblical support for prioritizing 
amusements over labor in God's kingdom, over growing in holiness, over working, laboring through the power of the Holy Spirit in sanctification. I challenge you. If, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to chat with you about it. I, I, I don't think there is. But we can, we can talk about it if you would like. If you and your kids, if we, if Kayla and I and our kids, kid, spend more time and energy on worldly activities, and, and he, this is key, and specifically we put our heart into it, right? If you'd rather do these activities than anything else, especially working on growing in the knowledge of God, and especially in laboring in his kingdom, or if you think that you or your kids, if you didn't do this, would somehow miss out on development. Again, if you would rather do it, if your heart's in it, if you think that if you didn't do it, then you're going to miss out on something, on some important developmental aspect. That's an idol. That's an idol. Regardless of the circumstances, day people are alert and sober. They don't hold the Bible suspect to society. They hold society suspect to the Bible, right? They bend their will to what Scripture says because they know what Scripture says. And they understand that they don't need to peer into the darkness to find leisure activities and escape from hard things or uh, find pleasure. They may still do it, right? Doesn't Paul talk about that in Romans, that I do the things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I, I do want to do? They, they may still slip up and, and, and do it, but for only, only for a season. And their consciences are going to scream at them. If you're a true believer, you can't spend a lot of time doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing or that you can't choose constantly to do the things that are okay when you know the best things are left here undone because you've wasted your time over here. True believers fight the worldliness found in their flesh. It's a battle. Remember we talked about that when we kind of went through the aspects of sanctification. It's a battle. And then if you're a true believer, it's a battle that progresses in one direction. You will be killing sin. It's going to be a tough battle. It's going to be an uphill battle. But the Holy Spirit enables you to kill sin and you have increasing success as you spiritually mature true believers would rather grow in holiness they find their rest and their pleasure in the Lord again more and more over time as you learn about God um, and then uh, bringing ourselves kind of back to this first Thessalonians passage you encourage others to do that right it, it matters what you encourage people to do don't encourage people to waste their time and vanity. Encourage people to grow in the knowledge and obedience of God. In God, understand that we're all not perfect, or no, nobody is perfect. But because we're united to Christ, because we're united to the light of the world, we just cannot continue living lives that look a lot like the dark society that surrounds us. Um, and, and true believers will understand that. They won't buck against this. 
They understand that, again, that they might not do this perfectly, but I need to do that. And they'll commit to doing it. And that means even if they start experiencing persecution. Right? So we see that as an example in the Thessalonians themselves. 1 Thessalonians um, 5.11, again, it, he says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. So encouragement for these believers is that they're already doing this. They're already doing this. And we, and we see that they were, they were undergoing persecution basically from day one. Paul, Timothy, and Silas show up. They proclaim the gospel to them. Some in the Jewish synagogue believed. Also, some Greeks believed. And immediately, the society around them attacked them. The Jews were so upset, so jealous, that they instigated a mob, a riot in this city of about 200,000 people to try and kick these men out. Think about in this time and, you know, in the months after Paul and Timothy and Silas leave, right, after they're kicked out, think about how these believers had to lean on one another. They're Jewish and they're Greek friends, right, regardless of what kind of aspect, what part of society they, they fell in. They were against them, right? These, new, these people completely changed the way that they went about their life. They stopped going to the synagogue and doing the synagogue type, you know, Judaism worship. They stopped going to these random temples, you know, of Jupiter, of the Roman emperors, etc., and doing that pagan worship, right? So society shuns them. These people are weird. These people of the way, let's, you know, go, get rid of them, get out of here. I mean, it, it probably broke families up. And so who, who did they have left? You know, we, we see that this church had such an impact on spreading the gospel throughout Greece. In spite of the fact that society shunned them, in spite of the fact that, uh, that they basically were considered anathema to the rest of the folks around them, the gospel spread throughout Greece in months. You know, this wasn't over a decade. This is in months. And Paul states that the church was encouraging and building one another up. I think that this is a, a key factor in the effectiveness of the church, is that they're encouraging one another. Stay true. Stay true. The world outside is against us. Stay true. You know, these, these believers, they come from various walks of life. You've got Jews. You've got Greeks. The Jews hated the Greeks. The Greeks thought the Jews were very strange. You've got slaves. It talks about having rich families that join the church. People who from very different walks of life in a society that is extremely hierarchical. They're now forced together because they have nobody else. Right? We're not that way yet in this country, but we very well could be. You know, I can, you can hear them saying, you know, I know it's tempting to give in to the persecution. I know it's tempting to go back to the way of life that we were practicing because it's going to be easier. We can just kind of fit back in society. I know they think that we are weird. What's going to happen to our kids as they grow up in this? 
the rest of society hates them. They're not doing the things that the rest of society expects them to do. But it's worth it. We're called for another purpose other than our own pleasure, our own amusement, our own monetary success. We've been called out of darkness to serve the living and the true God, they're telling themselves. And we should be telling ourselves. His commandments to a believer aren't burdensome, right? They're worth doing more so than the things of darkness are worth doing. Because his promises are sure. If we combine the things of the world because we just want our kids to be successful in the world, but yeah, 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 we also, you know, Christianity is also important. We're, we're hedging our bets, right? You're either with me or against me, what Christ said. It's an, it is an all or nothing life change. Right? But that seems to be lost in our current society. God alone enables us to do good and to obey we participate in our sanctification, but the power in which to grow in, gro- in holiness, the salvation itself from the get-go, is all of God. And he's the one that glorifies us in the end. He's worthy of all glory and play- praise, and he's worthy of our labors in his kingdom. You know, as an aside, Paul frequently identifies, you know, at the end of his letters, a lot of the times he'll list people. Um, greet this person, greet that person. Uh, A lot of them, it's greet them, encourage them, because they are co-laborers in Christ, because they are diligent workers. Prisca and Aquila, Mary, Urbanus, Tryphania, Tryphosa, Persis, just in the book of Romans, right, are an example of these people laboring for Christ. And they are, their names are saved for hi- in history for eternity as good examples of laboring for Christ. The household of Stephanus, Fortunatus, Achaicus in 1 Corinthians, Tychicus, Onesimus, Jesus, also known as Justice, Epaphras, Luke in Colossians, Mark in Aristarchus in Philemon, all these men and women, right? Mary. Um, Aquila they are identified as laborers because they dedicated their lives to bringing God glory and living as day people so we should be like these people we should encourage other Christians to follow in their example again what are we encouraging one another what are we building each other up for to live like day people you know, like Christ, and again, there's the time element to it. In, in, in John chapter 9, Christ says, we work because, I work, we work. He's talking to the disciples because it's day, right? There is a limited a time in which we can serve the Lord in this life. And we build each other up in order to do that. You know, we don't doze in spiritual sloth and indifference like the people in darkness do as we kind of turn our focus back to First Thessalonians chapter 5. So let's, let's encourage each other to be laborers for Christ and not loiterers, right? Now in 1 Thessalonians 5, as we move into to verse 12, there's a bit of a shift. We, we, we enter a section that is more on Christian conduct. Um, and so it, these next two verses, 
you know, God has providentially allowed me to talk about them. It's how basically we should appreciate the pastors, the leaders of the church, right? Jeremy doesn't have to talk about it. I get to talk about it. And um, verses 12 to 14 indicate there, was, there were some issues. Uh, there were some issues in the Thessalonian church. And so Paul feels the need to, to address this. Uh, but he addresses the issues very, very softly because it probably wasn't, um, it wasn't a, a, a dire thing, but it was something that needed to be, to be taken care of. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Now, in the, in the handful of minutes that, that I have left, I'm going to quickly look at just verse 12 and 13 today. Um, I guess let's put ourselves back in the context of the time. Imagine how difficult it is in a church that's only existed for a few months, uh, in a continent that hasn't known the word of God, uh, but for a few more months before that, um, to pick church leaders, right? All these people basically heard Christ roughly the same time. Um, so, so it's not surprising that there's some folks that are kind of like, well, why are you in charge? You know, uh, you haven't been saved a lot longer than I have. And so, uh, so Paul had a difficult situation. Of course, you know, he, he left fairly quickly, uh, Timothy did go back, and so maybe maybe he uh, he established leaders then. But but either Paul or Timothy had a bit of a difficult task to pick the right leaders for the church. And of course, we know that in God's providence, he was able to to enable them to do that. But there were still some lingering issues on um, the support of of the pastors of the the shepherds over over the sheep. You know, we see, but we request of you the beginning of verse 12 that's very gentle you know paul is a lot a lot stronger and a lot more direct elsewhere but this is a very gentle kind of reminder look you need to we need to fix this and then goes into he then goes into some differing responsibilities for the shepherds to the sheep and then the sheep to the shepherds so again real quickly we'll, we'll walk through those so first what are the responsibilities of the shepherd to the flock look at verse 12 You appreciate those who diligently labor among you. That's the first one, diligently labor among you, uh, that exert themselves heavily. And we, you see the qualifications of, of elders in 1 Timothy. You see it in uh, Titus as well. And, uh, and, and laboring and working amongst the flock is a, a primary component of the, uh, what these, these men ought to be doing. They're providing the spiritual care for the sheep they work hard at preaching and teaching. You know, these, the men, even in our church, right, they, they put a lot of time, rightfully so, in order to exposit the word of God accurately. In order to lead the people, it takes a lot of time and effort. And you see that Paul, Timothy, and Silas display themselves, this themselves. Go to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
And verse 8, he says, Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. You think the people of, the ch of East Memorial are very dear to Glenn and Brian and Jeremy? Yeah, of course we are, right? They, they give us their lives. They give us their time. They give us a lot of the family's time as well. Verse 9, for you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working day and night, so not to be a burden to you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and so is God, right? They have a responsibility to the Lord himself because they've been called to this work. How devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved towards you believers. All right, so the first one is laboring diligently. The second one is they have, they have charge over the flock in the Lord. The word, you know, with have, have charge, that word is actually stand before. To lead, right? To, to guide, to shepherd, to manage with authority. Um, I won't go to the reference, but First Peter, don't, don't turn there, but First Peter 5, 1 to 4 talks about this. That they're to exercise oversight, not, on, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, um, according to the will of God. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So they're not lords, they're spiritual guides. Give them instruction is the third one. So work, dil labor diligently, have charge over them in the Lord, and to give them instruction. This is instruction with an eye towards growing them in spiritual maturity, holiness, godliness, sanctification, right? Admonition, give them admonition is actually kind of a, a, a more common interpretation of the word uh, throughout the New Testament. And uh, you are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we, we behaved towards you, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you as a father would his own children. Right? Sometimes fathers have to correct. Sometimes they, they instruct, hey, this is how it's done. But they also have to say, don't do it that way. Right? They also had to admonish the people. But again, in a blameless manner, in a loving manner, as a father would. So that... 1 Thessalonians 2.12, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So these men who are ordained as shepherds are to, again, diligently labor for the church. They're to lead the sheep by, sheep by example through the accurate teaching of the word. Now, what are the responsibilities for the sheep to the shepherd? First is that we appreciate them, right? We see that at the beginning of, of verse 12. And depending on what translation you use, you see appreciate in the NAS, you see respect in the English Standard Version or the New International Version. You also see to know in the King James Version or the New Legacy Standard uh, Version. Um, this Greek word is intended, or it really means to be very familiar with. It's not just know of, or to, hey, you know, pat on the back, you're doing a good job. But you're actually very familiar 
with, uh, with this person and their labor, right? So the sheep should be very familiar and considerate of uh, what, what the pastors do and how much it actually takes out of them. We appreciate in gratitude, but we also appreciate in like grasping and realizing. I appreciate how much work it is uh, to do what you do. We also grasp that they are held accountable to God for their work, right? And so probably don't want to make it harder on them than we have to, and we'll, we'll get there here in a minute. We esteem them very highly in love is the second one. We appreciate them. And then we see in, uh, in verse 13 that we esteem them very highly in love because of their work, right? If they are faithful teachers who are carefully expositing the word, if they're doing what they need to do to the, the sheep, then we esteem them very highly. And that's an honor. We think highly of them. We hold them in high regard. Um, it's not a personality contest, right? But it's due to their role and their position in the, as a, in the body of believers. We esteem them in love. That love is agape love. It's a willful choice, right? So that if you willfully choose to love somebody, that's going to drive the way that you treat them, right? It's not a transactional thing. Uh, it's your choice to love them and to honor them. You choose to su submit to them. You choose to support them um, as they fulfill this special role as under-shepherds of Christ. The, this phraseology also has a monetary compensation to it. And you see in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, you've probably heard this before, uh, verse se 1 Timothy 5, 17, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. They exhaust a lot of energy, and so they should be compensated for it, right? And of course, we do that here, right? Yeah, we do that here. And so, uh, but, but Paul is reminding these believers, again, who are kind of questioning, like, who are you? Who are you? You, just, you? you were saved about the same time I was saved. He's reminding them, no, they are put in a position and you need to support them, even if that's fi financially. And then finally, we see at the end of chapter, or verse 13, I should say, it's live in peace with one another, period. Right? So selfish people want their own way and they fight for it. They fight for it and they don't really care about the trouble they cause for other folks. They just want their own way. You know, how many times have we seen pastors here or elsewhere having to waste an awful lot of time dealing with foolish disputes between selfish, um, biblically illiterate, professing Christians, right? That isn't being peaceable. It's not being peaceable amongst the flock, which causes problems for the pastors. When the pastors do say something, these people oftentimes buck against them, and that's not living peaceably with, with them. Um, and imagine how disappointing, if your job is to encourage the spiritual growth of folks, you carefully work to exposit the word, you deliver the word to folks, and then somebody does exactly what you said not to do, you know, basically preaching out of, out of God's word. Somebody not only 
ignores what you said, but more importantly, ignores the word of God that you've delivered. How, how disappointing would that be? Right? So, so be peaceable, right? Period. In regards to the pastors themselves, and I'll move quickly, we got a few more minutes. Um, think about our interaction with them. Um, and I'll use some examples here. Again, Jeremy's not here, so I'm, I'm going to use some examples. Um, how quick are we to provide happy to glad changes? Right? Imagine the, the emotional weight that these guys wear to be careful about ex carefully expositing the word, making the right choices in all the various aspects of memory, or, or, or a ministry, I should say. Um, are we asking questions that aren't really questions? H how is it that we're communicating with them when we say, well, we would rather do this or we would rather do that? Um, is, are, again, are these happy to glad things? Or are these actually like really important and, and beneficial uh, for the church? Um, do we understand that there are good times and bad times to drop 10-pound weights on them, right? As they're walking into the service, it's probably not the best time to drop a problem on the pastor. Um, same with in the evening, right? Uh, just because it's convenient for us, just because we happen to see them, hey, we're at church, right? So they should be able to take whatever I throw at them. Uh, think, think through that a little bit. Ha is Glenn preparing his mind to carefully exposit the word? Is Jeremy preparing his mind to lead the congregation in worship? Well, then he doesn't need your personal problem. It's important, but he do they don't need it right then, right? So, so carefully think about them uh, and the, the challenges that they're dealing with time-dependent challenges that they're dealing with, and, and maybe it's a, another time is, is, is better to talk to them. Um, many of us have feelings about music. Uh, we would, uh, do we care to understand the theological intent behind our music pastor's uh, choices? Or we, do we just want to hear music that we hear on the radio or that we like the sound of? Right? Before we say, hey, we should do more, than, more of this, more of that, maybe we ask some questions, right? Maybe we trust them. We demonstrate that we trust them and that we want to learn before we just full bore say, you need to do this or that. Again, Jeremy's not here. This is a sheep talking to other sheep and, and just things to think about to increase the peaceability amongst the church. I haven't talked to Jeremy or Glenn about, you know, this sort of stuff, but it's just things that, that I, Brad, is, has observed. Um, and we have a new pastor, you know, if he's, if he's voted into the church, in Matt uh, Ronsky, Ronsky, um, who, if he's voted into the church, he is our pastor, he is our leader. He doesn't have anything to prove to us, right? So when he comes and his family comes, he's got a wife and a couple of kids, then we are to live peacefully with them too and to welcome them in and not put up the force field, you know, until a certain point where he proves himself worthy of our uh, respect and support. The best way that we can support our pastors and live peaceably with them is if we apply the word that they're preaching 
we apply the teaching and our lives reflect the growth in holiness and the growth in godliness, the development, progression, and sanctification. That's the best way. They see the word that they preach impact the, the, the sheep. That is encouragement to them. Hats on the back, telling them specifics, specifics about messages that they, um, they preached or they taught are all well and good, and we should do that. But living out obedience to God's word is what they're empowered and, and actually tasked um, to, to, to lead us in doing. And so if we do that, that's the best way for us to encourage and support them. It's also the best way for us to encourage and support one another. And again, I was pretty specific in regards to our free time. Um, I stand by every word. But if we aren't encouraging ourselves to grow in holiness, to grow in godliness, to look beyond this life into eternity, if we aren't reminding our, ourselves that there are things that we can do now, there are there's service to God that we can do now that spans the gap into eternity. Then what are we encouraging each other to do? Not focus on uh, vanity, not focus on amusement. As Jeremy continues next week with the next handful of verses regarding Christian content, I know he's going to say more um, on, on this sort of thing. And so, so I encourage you to remember that we are day people. If you, if you are a true believer, you're a day person. Your life is different than night people, the darkness, people who live in the darkness, society around us. Don't give your heart to amusements and things of the world. Give it to God and obey him. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power in which uh, it comes and affects our lives. Lord, we, we thank you for our pastors and their willingness to labor diligently. Uh, we thank you for the preaching that we hear, the faithful preaching that we hear each and every week. We are glad you joined us today. If you have any questions about what was discussed on today's podcast, send us a message on Facebook. Email us at info at eastmemorial.org or call our church office at 334-365-7500. Thanks for listening.